Good morning. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be in 26 and 27. We'll get there in just a second. But I want to thank Hobson and the elders for allowing me to come and preach today. They gave me the non-controversial topic of men and women. Mike prayed that I'd have boldness. I've been praying I have humility during this. And so you could pray for that as well. And this is a, a controversial issue in our era. In fact, what I'm about to say 50 years ago in any church would have been kind of the accepted. This is the acceptable thing. And nobody would have thought anything I'm saying right now. It wasn't controversial. Ten years ago, we would be sitting around here and uh, looking at this and saying that two genders, people were created male and female, Nobody would have doubted. But now there are some people who are list up to 120 genders. I, the Bible doesn't list 120 genders, I want to say that. And there are not 120 genders, but that's the way it is. So even five years ago, this would not, that wouldn't have been controversial. And friends, just a few years ago, saying this controversial statement wouldn't have been controversial. Men can't have babies. And yet, we see that in NBC, and we see that in, in the newspapers, that they are now saying men can have babies. I want to say the controversial, probably the most controversial statement I'll say today is just that, men, you can't have babies. You cannot birth them. It's impossible. And yet, today in our culture, where we have a confusion about almost everything else, there is a radical confusion about the role of men and women in the church and in the society. But my sermon today is not going to address society. Why? They're not sitting here. Today, I'm addressing you, the church, the church of God, the people who believe that this is God's word and believe that we need to order all of life around God's word. So as much as we want to talk about the, what's going on in society, yes, that's great, and it's God's fodder, but I want to hit something even more important. What God's word says to God's people about men and women. In our world today, we have kind of two major problems, two major errors that happen. And the first error is this that we collapse the differences and distinctions of men and women into nothingness. We almost want to make light of everything. They're, they want to make light of the physical differences, the psychological differences, the spiritual differences, the role differences. We want to collapse it into nothingness where there's no real difference between men and women. That's not God's view. But the other extreme that we often hear, and we hear this a lot in churches, is that of a combative relationship between men and women. That somehow one sex is superior to the other, or one sex needs to control the other, or one sex needs to manipulate the other, or one sex needs to be the master and the other the slave. And they use some verses out of context to say that. And that, too, is unbiblical. But God preserves both the distinctions of men and women and that we have various roles by which God has blessed the church and blessed society in how we do it, that we're equal 
and yet we're different. That we're alike, and yet we're totally different. And only the biblical worldview gives us that idea. And so I want to tell you right away, as we're going here, and as we're going to delve into the scripture, if you are a man, I want you to rejoice that God has made you a man. If you are a woman, I want you to rejoice that God has made you a woman, for you both are fearfully and wonderfully made as God has designed. Making light of this makes light of the text we're about to read. So in Genesis 1, let's look at verse 26 and 27. I know I'm going backwards just a little bit. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So I want us now to look here at the first thing that we're going to see is that males and females are gloriously alike. You are no cosmic accident on either sex. And we are going to see this in verse 26. If you look at there, it says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image. You know, the pinnacle of all creation is this. Mankind, males and females, nothing else in all of creation meets what happened in that time. You were created, not like the animals, distinct and unique in the image of God. In fact, God pays special attention here. He says, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. You know, Herman Bobbink said, Humanity is where the spiritual and material world are joined together. We're the only ones. There are the angels in heaven. The angels don't have a body like us. The angels are spirit beings. That's all they are. And yet, here we look at this, is God himself is going to make us in our, his own likeness. Turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and we're going to see this. We are physical beings with physical realities here. We are all this physical. So in 2 verse 7, it says, Then God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. How has he formed us? Dust. Dirt. I hate dirt. My wife would tell you I will take three or four showers a day because I hate dirt. And I have. Many times. We sweep it up. We get rid of it. We try to clean it off because dirt is nasty. And it's physical. You know, God could have chosen anything to make man out of. He could have chosen sapphires and rubies, diamonds, emeralds, pearls, tanzanite. I love tanzanite. He could have chosen all of that, but he didn't choose that when he made you. He chose just common, ordinary dirt. We are physical beings, and that shows we are physical, different than the angels. 
but that he did something unique to that dirt. You looked at that, at that verse, remember? He says, he breathed into the nostrils of man. Now, that verse is very important. Because without that, there's no distinction. All we are are mud pies. I hated mud pies as a kid. Some of you probably liked it. My wife did. My kids did, to my chagrin. All we are are mud pies, but God did something as he took and he breathed into our nostrils. Now, the word breath here, whenever you see that kind of word breath, it's, it's not just breathing in, but there is something attached to that that is very important. It is the very spirit of God coming in there. We see this again in John chapter 20, verse 22. In John 20, 22, we see that Jesus looked at his disciples and he breathed on them and he said, he said receive the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes, wind or breath is symbolized of that Holy Spirit. Now think about this. Man is this, this mud pie. And God breathes into his nose. Man's first breath is from the Holy Spirit himself who comes and makes this messy mud pie into something brilliantly, the pinnacle of all creation. Our breath was in the living spirit dwelt with us. What a remarkable scene that is. That we have the Holy Spirit indwelling right from the beginning. That's what separates us from the animal. They're not spiritual beings. They really don't care about the spiritual things. I've never seen a deer build a church. Never seen a bear go around and have a time of worship service. We were uniquely and created specifically in the likeness of God. Spiritual like the angels, but physical. Physical like the animals, but spiritual. We are unique. By the way, there's one other place that we see that God breathed. It's a little off topic. But I love these off-topic things. 2 Timothy 3.16, For God breathed out. All scriptures inspired and was breathed out by God that the Holy Spirit so indwelled and came in the scriptures to make it the infallible, inerrant word of God to be revered by all. That's scripture. And that, my friends, is what we have here is that we have a glorious and wonderful breathing out where God created us in his own image. Got that one backwards. And then actually, I still got it backwards. Let me see if I can continue. Actually, I, my notes are a little off. Sorry about that. So men and women, I want you to know we share something unique, being created in God's image. We share it together. We are equals. In many ways, God didn't create a hierarchy of superiority or inferiority. We have different roles, but God has uniquely created us 
and his image. You, congregation, are fearfully and wonderfully made. Next point I want to make today, our males and females are gloriously different. Your gender reflects God's image. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we want to look at verse 27 again. In verse 27, we have this uh, amazing poetry in 27. In fact, it's what we call a chiasm. A chiasm is a type of poetry, especially in biblical language, and it's, it's beautiful. And sometimes what it says is important. And sometimes what it doesn't say is just as important. And I wanted to get the idea of the chiasm, and I've, I really wanted to take this out, and I kept putting it back in, because really to understand the true nature of men and women, you've got to understand the poetry a little bit. So bear with me if I, if I get a little nerdy on you on, on, the, on the Hebrew here. But it, it starts off, and look at it again. It says, so God created man. So we're going to have that represent my first part. The creation of man is my right hand right here. For God created man. And he's going to use that and switch places here in his own image, the left hand. So God created man in his own image. And then look what it does in the next line. And the image, so he takes the image and what was in the back part of the sentence, last part of the sentence, he puts it in the front part of the sentence. In the image of God, he created him. Then it says male and female. Well, what's that correspond? My right hand here, going back over here. He created them. Now, I want you to get the understanding here of what we're looking at when we are looking here, is that men and women, as Hobson inferred last week, some said, that one guy says, this is saying that women were not created in God's image, and that's not what it's saying. In fact, you're supposed to be seeing, thinking, where's the image there? And by leaving it off, it makes it more powerful. It actually emphasizes it. It's kind of like if I could say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved us. Uh, you want to complete the sentence, right? You want to continue it. And that's exactly what that's trying to do. It's trying to say, male and female, he created them. Where's that next step? He created them in the image of God. That's what he did. See, God didn't create us androgynously as, as just humanity, but he created us uniquely, male and female, to represent the fullness and the graciousness of God. Now, I'm going to read another quote here for you that talks about, well, we'll get to that in a letter. Let me, I'll bring, I'll get that back later. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. But we should cherish that men and women are created differently. We are not collapsing each other into dis no distinction whatsoever. That we are created that way. And so, in God's way, he is creating you in his likeness. In his, in, in a, in his glorious way. Here's the quote I wanted to say. My notes, that for some reason, were out of order. I apologize. He says, we are made in God's image, not merely male, but both. Not one separate from the other, but man and woman together in mutual relation, 
each created in his or own manner, and each, and each in a special dimension created in God's image, and together displaying his likeness. For this reason, the Lord compares himself not to the Father who takes pity on children, not only to the Father who takes pity on children, Psalms 103:13, but also a mother who cannot forget her nursing child. He chastens like a father in Hebrews 12, 6, but also comforts like a mother in Isaiah 66, 13, and replenishes the loss in both in Psalms 27, 10. You see, how you are created male and female fully reflects the image of God. The distinctions that he has that you were created further emphasizes one thing. God is much bigger than just both of us. God is much bigger than just being me being a male. And he's much bigger than you being a female. And honestly, the compatibilism that we have, that we are compatible, reflects a fullness of image. When you look at how people operate as different as male and females, you should glorify God that we're not the same. You should rejoice in God that we are not the same because he didn't make us that way. I, I want to caution you on something here. Um, I want to caution you as you explore your manhood and womanhood and as you look to, the, to how best you can be different as a man and woman and how that reflects God's glory, I want you to avoid some errors. One, is what we call the John Wayne mentality or the Rambo mentality. You do not have to be like those guys to be men. Or women, the Barbieism, the glamour girl. That's not what biblical womanhood is. And if that's the idea that you're taking to become a woman or a man, you're taking something from that God never introduced. But God did fearfully and wonderfully make you different and distinct and glorious. And you should cherish that. You should cherish that. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not despite your gender. But God made you in your gender that way for his glory and to bring glory to him. Next, I want us to get to our next point is men and women are gloriously compatible. God created man and woman for each other. We did. Woman was created from man, and we do know that. Look at verse Genesis 2.23 with me for a second. 2.23. He says, Then man said, this is, this is that last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You know, this was after Adam and Eve were created. Eve was just created, and, and Adam fell in a deep sleep. And his first words that he had when it happened was, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Stop here a second. Some of the culture would like us to think something different of women. But what Adam was saying in his makeup, he had a natural desire to want a companion 
that was like him. Because he didn't see it among the spiritual realm. He didn't see it among the angels. And, and they didn't satisfy. And the animals surely didn't satisfy. Go deer hunt and get some good deer meat. But that's about it. He didn't go deer hunting. But, but it's, not, it's a good thing. But that's exactly what he... But he wanted something that was, that was an eternal need that God gave him. And what did God give to him to meet that need? It's a woman. And what he's saying is that you are physically like me. My entire body, my blood and my flesh runs through your body and flesh. The same blood that was pumping in my body is pumping in yours. You are like me, so much like me. I want to cherish you. I want to glorify God and how he has brought you to be. You know, Matthew Henry, in responding to this, and most of you probably have heard this Matthew Henry quote. Matthew Henry talks about the creation of woman, and he says this, the woman was made of the rib of, of the, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor is his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arms to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. You know, the greatest gift that Adam was given in the Garden of Eden was Eve. The greatest gift Adam was given in the Garden of Eden is Eve. Men, the women that you're sitting next to or that are around here are outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation that we have is your greatest gift. To be honored and cherished and revered, God gave you a wonderful, magnificent gift that when Adam said, he said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, What a glorious gift to have. It's so much so as a precious gift, John MacArthur says, a Christian husband displays how he thinks of Christ by the way he treats his wife. You want to see the love of Christ in somebody? Look how they treat their spouse. And so... You are the precious gift given to us that we should love, honor, cherish, provide, and protect. In fact, he symbolizes this in Ephesians chapter 5 in comparing a woman to the church in Christ. That Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. He died for her. That is the preciousness of the male and female relationship that can be compared, likened to that of Christ and his church. By contrast, we have, I think in our culture, we have a sliding scale, not only for men, but we also have a sliding scale for women. Some women don't want to be a precious gift. <laughs> they don't want to be that person who, who presents themselves in a way that reflects that they are specially and creatively made. Now, I'm not talking about makeup. I don't care about that. Lacey says, I really don't care if she wears makeup or not. She does. I don't. I don't care about any of those kinds of things. What I do care 
is that we prepare ourselves to present ourselves in a godly way towards the world around us. And women, as women who are distinct from man, and men who are men distinct from women, glorifying God in the fullness of our maleness and femaleness. And that is where we're at. And so, people, you were designed for each other. Now, there's some people here who are not married. Hard sometimes because if you want to be married, and some people, you feel called to be married, and that's okay. You still need to be treating the women around you as fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Or the women around you, men around you, as fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We are designed together, and we should be encouraging one another to understand our role as men and women before Christ. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about man and woman, sin and rebellion, because that impacted everything. That transformed all that we have here. So look with me back into uh, Genesis. Go to 2.15, because we're going to be there in just a second. So God, we were created. We were created alike, and we were created different. We must maintain that of male and female differences, and in doing so, we must glorify God through all of that. But we find out that something happened. There was sin that entered in the world, and we see that in Genesis chapter 3. We're just going to refer to it. The serpent came in and tempted Adam and Eve. First Eve, right? And Eve took the forbidden fruit. We all know that. But there's something interesting that she responded in Genesis chapter 3 that is, that is profound. She said, I was deceived. Remember that? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, I believe, 1 Timothy 2, verse 13 and 14, Paul reemphasizes that. Paul says, women were deceived. Now, we often take that verse, and the reason I'm taking this out is because I'm going to hit men harder on that verse than women. Because I think it's a condemnation more on Adam than it is on Eve. Truly deceived at the fall. So deceived that she thought she was doing was right. That's what it was. She took the fruit. She says, this is the right thing to do. And if it was an apple, I don't know if it was. She ate it, thinking it was the right thing to do. My friends, ignorance of the law is not, does not uh, recuse you from being guilty. And she bit into it, and she took the fruit. And she said, I was deceived. I completely believe what I was doing was right. Guys, this is another reason to get and stay in the scriptures. But sin happened because Adam failed. You say, how did Adam fail? But look with me here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, I remember years ago when I was first Christian, I wanted to write a commentary. And I said, I'm going to write a commentary on the book of Genesis. And I got, the, I really did, I got several chapters in it, and then it was like over my head, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I stopped that. 
But I got to this verse. I remember getting to this verse, and I, I said, what is God trying to say in the words work and keep? I mean, it seemed like the same word. I mean, if you work a ground, if you work a garden, and you keep it, isn't it the same thing? And honestly, I, I really didn't know how to answer that until many years later. I was studying, and I found the answer. It's not the same word. And it's not the same idea here. You see, in Genesis 2.15, by the way, Eve wasn't created yet. God has given him what his role is in this world. And that keep comes from Numbers chapter 3. You don't need to turn there, but you could write it down. And it is, if you were in my Old Testament class, you got this. It's Numbers chapter 3. And in Numbers chapter 3, it talks about the role of the Levites in keeping from the temple from being desecrated. And it says, if anything comes into the temple that shouldn't be comes into the temple, you are to keep it. In other words, and it explains this, you are to kill it. You are to crush it. You are to destroy it. My temple is holy and nothing comes into the temple and that, is, that will defile it. Now let's take that word and put it in Genesis chapter 2. Your job, Adam, is this. To take, to keep, to, 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 to tend the garden and to keep it from anyone who would come in to make it unholy. You are to defend it spiritually, theologically, in every other way possible. And so, turn to Genesis 3.15. In Genesis 3.15, after the fall, God is condemning and giving a charge to the serpent. And I think this is where it comes to life. It says, I will put enmity between the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise, between her offspring, you shall bruise her head and you shall bruise his heel. So the design of man was to provide and protect it was to provide and work the ground and provide for whatever the needs that they had at the time. And it was to protect and to guard the garden. I told you that Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. The garden in that point, at that point in time, it was flourishing and the serpent came around and he knew that what the serpent was doing was evil and wrong. And what should he have done? Crush the head of the serpent. If he would have done that, this is a different conversation. But he forsook his role and responsibility. And when God was saying to the serpent, serpent, there's going to be another coming from that's going to do crush your head. Adam's listening. He says, I should have been the one crushing the head. I should be the one responsible. I'm the one that messed up. Eve sinned because I didn't do my job. And he didn't. 
And God said, not out of Adam is going to come, but out of Eve. He forfeited his right to have the seed come from him. And that seed, that offspring is going to kill and destroy the serpent. And it did. Jesus Christ was that seed. Jesus Christ came as a man, but he was born of a virgin. There was no men involved in this. It was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin Mary. He came. That's why it's so important. It fits everything that's coming in here. And he was fulfilling the role that Adam mistook. The God-given role that he should have filled. And he died on the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again three days later. In so doing, he has crushed the head of the serpent of old. In crushing the head of the serpent of old, we can rejoice that God did what Adam didn't do. You think the roles of men and women don't matter. Tell that to Adam. Tell that to Eve. For God has fearfully and wonderfully made them. Fearfully and wonderfully made them in distinct ways. Let's get to some application here. We talked a lot about men and women. We talked a lot about their roles. But we didn't get into a lot of details. And, and I, I did that on purpose. Guys, I, I do believe that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5. I do believe that women should submit to their husband, but not in a conflicting way. We're not adversaries, and he has to always get his way, but he should be loving you and caring for you and caressing you and helping you through the decisions of life. We should celebrate our unique differences. We should be rejoicing in those, and we should be discovering those. But how do you do that? First, men, I want to encourage you for further study to do this. Look into Scripture on what it means to be a true man. And I'm going to give you, I mentioned Ephesians 5, but let me give you another one. 1 Timothy 3. Now, anyone who knows the scriptures well in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 is the command for, um, for elders. It's the qualification of elders. And he said, why am I pointing you to becoming like an elder? It's because I believe that's what the foundation... See, God doesn't say there shouldn't be certain people who reach up to that level of elders. In fact, we should all meet the criteria of that of elders. And there's two things that you need to be doing. One... Elder's job is to rightly divide the word of truth and to handle it faithfully. That's their job. Every man in here, your role is that. I don't care who you are. If you don't want to be an elder, that's fine. If you desire to be an elder, it's a good thing. It's, but if you don't, it's fine. But your job should be first and foremost to rightly handle the word of God so that when you see challenges coming and you can be that protector and provider of your family. In Ephesians 5, to love your wife as Christ loved the church as well. And second is the moral principle. Um, you need to be a man who loves the Lord and who lives a life 
that reflects the glory of God in your life. And that includes to your wife and to your kids. Secondly, women. I have had um, 23 years of being the only man in a home of women. I will tell you it's one of the most interesting things you'll ever do. Things that I didn't think were big deals are big deals. Things I thought were big deals, I find out, are no longer big deals because I'm in a, womb, a land of women. And what I've learned is that they are not like me at all and that I need extra patience and at times, as you probably know if you ever have kids and a wife and then but I've also found that it's more important and it's very important today for women to learn to be women. There is a pressure on women today to go to the lowest common denominator of what it means to be a woman. And not to be and not to cherish in their womanness. In fact, they are more often associated with are they more like men than they are whether they are like women? I will say, you are not men. Don't be a man. You are not a man, so don't try to be a man. Be a woman. That's what God has created you for. And I want to make a recommendation here going to Titus 2, because I think that's where the scriptures point us. And the recommendation is that you younger women, find a few of these old women, older women, say old women. I'm 47, I'm becoming old. So I, I, I feel the pains coming more and more every day. Find older women who reflect the beauty of being a woman and not the external beauty of being a woman. Look, your looks will probably fade through time. That's okay. But being a woman is much more than your looks or being a man. In Titus 2, we have something there of the women to teach the younger women to be women. We are missing that in our churches today. Older women, I want to just charge you. You've had years and you've seen our culture change so much. Some for the good, a lot for the bad. Reflect to the younger women on what it really means to be a woman. Because they need it. As do men needing to be men. And I think when we have that type of church who relishes you for your gender, male or female, we will get a church who identifies better in the long run with our God. Because what we will see 
every one of you, is we will look and say, wow, those women are godly women. Those men are godly men, and they are too different. And we will say that reflects the likeness of God himself, the image of God, and we can rest. Now, finally, I, I want to talk to you about our failures. So every one of you have failed in reflecting the purity of men or women at some time in your life. I have. Every single day. My wife reminded me yesterday. <laughs> you know how you know a young couple? It was when the guy calls his wife a Proverbs 31 woman. You know how I know that's only a young couple? Because when you get old like me, you realize my wife is a sinner and doesn't meet all the criteria of Proverbs 31. You know how you know a young couple is when a woman calls her husband a Ephesians 5 man because every one of us has failed in that. There's not one person here who could say, I'm the perfect Proverbs 31 woman or the perfect Ephesians 5 man. Not one of you. Myself, doubly included. When you get old, you realize this, and you're like, well, I better stop saying that because I don't want to lie. When you're young, you're just, everything's, you just look past those things. You know what, though? That's okay. That's why Christ died for your sins, because you couldn't meet that mark. You are not the Proverbs 31 woman or the Ephesians 5 man, and you fail, but that's why you run to Christ who was the perfect man who died on the cross for our sins to take that away and we could rest in him. Yes, you are going to fail. And yes, you're not going to live it up, up the way you should. But let's, not, let's glorify God that he and he alone fulfilled what was lacking in us. But don't collapse the distinction between male and females into nothingness. And don't be a bully or manipulative or combative in our male and female relationships. But come to scriptures to see that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, not despite who you are in male and females, but because of who you are as males and females. And when you fall short, there is an advocate that we have in Jesus Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice, congregation. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your graciousness here that you have so provided a a wife for many people, but you provided a room full, and a husband for many people, but you provided a room full of men and women. Help us to live out our love and honor for you. Help us to live out our maleness and singleness to reflect the glory of you, your likeness, throughout all eternity. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings upon this word. In Jesus' name, amen.